Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. I'm Jordan Gonsalves, and I'm a journalist. Join me on my new podcast, But We Loved, coming May 15th, where queer elders recount the amazing history they've lived through. In the middle of Wall Street, they stopped traffic. They were doing a die-in. And in the process share little gems of wisdom for the next generation. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. You can listen to But We Loved May 15th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff from the Science Lab from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey guys, and welcome to the podcast. This is Allison Lattermillick, the science editor at HowStuffWorks.com. This is Robert Lamb, science writer at HowStuffWorks.com. And this week we're talking about death by volcano, which uh, which kind of takes me back because uh, when I was a kid... Uh, I think everybody had a variation on this game, but uh, me and my sisters would play this uh, this game where we'd be like in the living room, and suddenly somebody would yell out, "Everything but the couch is uh, is lava," and we'd all have oh, to jump yeah. on the couch because if you were stuck on the floor, then you were burned alive by lava. Sometimes it was a never-ending pit, but most of the time, I think it was lava. Do you guys do that? Um, yeah, occasionally. I mean, it wasn't one of our central games. Mm-hmm. We're more of a like Ghost in the Graveyard type of crew. God, I don't know that one. Oh, really? Ghost in the Graveyard, where you. Uh, you're outside, it takes place at night, and there's like somebody who is, I guess, the ghost? And anyway, you have to make a lap around a prescribed circuit oh, and wow. make it back safely. Well, that sounds fun. I w- it's actually really fun. Yeah, yeah it's a very really good summer game. Huh. But I did, we did play the volcano game as well. Okay. Well, um, well, yeah, so basically we're talking about ways, since you wouldn't, you're not actually gonna have your living room suddenly turn into lava and burn you alive. Um, but still, volcanoes can be pretty deadly. 
So we're gonna we're gonna talk about them a little bit here today. Do you have if you have any personal experience with volcanoes? Yeah, not so much. Um, I've seen some, but the the story that stuck out to me when we decided on this podcast topic was that um, there was a story in winter 2010 about this climber who fell into the crater at Mount St. Helens. Did you mm-hmm. hear about that? No, I don't think I did. Yeah, he was a he was a pretty expert climber. I think he'd climbed Mount St. Helens like to the tune of almost seventy times. Mm-hmm. And so you know he was up at the he he was at the summit and mm-hmm. uh, he removed his backpack and he took off his jacket and he was going to pose for a picture. Why not? Yeah, and he fell into the volcano. Yeah, well, yeah, a, at Cornus Gateway. That's a he, great way to go. I mean, that's like that's like the manliest death ever. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I, I gotta debate that because, you know, what if you're still living and, you know, he's at well, the bottom wherever he fell and he's wondering if somebody's gonna get to him or maybe he's kind of dying, you know, slowly and he sees help because they, they did actually recover his body. Yeah, but I'm, I'm just thinking like, you know, it's like later, it's like they're talking about mountaineers and mountain climbers and they're like, oh yeah, there was old Carl and he, uh, he died in uh, the old folks home up there in, uh, in, uh, in, in Coffee County and oh, how about, uh, how about Doug? Oh, he, uh, he sprained his leg real bad. He's still around, but he doesn't do much. Well, how about, uh, what's his name? Is it? Oh, he fell into a volcano. Like, that's the most awesome death ever. I guess it is. Just- like, people were probably like thinking, when I'm cremated, I want my, you know, it's like I want my ashes to go into a volcano. Like, that's just so epic. And this guy, that's how he died. And that's, I mean, if you have to pick a way, it's pretty fantastic. Right. So that's one way to, uh, to die by way of a volcano. Um, and what are volcanoes again? In case you guys need a, a quick review. I'm happy to provide such review to you. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, most of the time we do think about like Mount St. Helens. We think of, or we think of a big fiery mountain, you know, like the kind of place where a, a dark lord might forge some sort of uh, horribly powerful ring to enslave uh, the population of a fantasy world. But, uh, but, but they can be a little more than that. Um, generally speaking, a volcano is any place on a planet where some material from the inside of the planet makes its way through to the planet's surface. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, it's like, you know, sort of like a pimple or something, you know, except in more geologic terms. Right. And the geologic terms would be lava, ash, and gases, right? Right. And uh, the layers wouldn't be skin, muscle, etc. They would be core, mantle, and outer crust. So magma can rise where two plates meet. That's right. one way. Right. So you remember the crust of the Earth is divided into, you know, about 12 different plates, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and right, like you were saying, Robert, doing a fine job, magma can rise up where the two plates meet. Yeah, it's like the ring of fire, all that stuff, you know. It's like wherever they they meet, um, you basically have this, uh, this rift where magma can rise. Um, uh, but it can, uh, magma can also push up, push up under the middle of a plate. Uh, it's much less common, but, um, uh, this, the interplate, interplate volcanic activity is caused by an, an unusually hot mantle material forming in the lower mantle, then pushing up into the upper mantle. Okay. All right. And then this, uh, this wells up and, uh, and it basically creates a hot spot. Okay. And it's not just some tiny hot spot. It's a hot spot that's, you know, hundreds to maybe mm-hmm. even a thousand kilometers wide. We're talking a huge hot spot. Yeah. And due to the unusual heat of the mantle material, it melts, forming magma just under the Earth's crust. All right. And then, uh, that bursts up and you have a volcano. Um, but as a, since a con, this is kind of interesting though, since a continental plate moves over this spot, the magma will create a string of volcanoes, uh, which die out once the plate moves past the hot spot. So you have situations like uh, the volcanoes in Hawaii, uh, which um, which are created uh, by the spot forming this volcano, and then this volcano. It's like an assembly line of uh, of uh, geologic uh, strife, if you will. Yeah, I mean, speaking of geologic strife, I mean, the Ring of Fire has to take the cake. And incidentally, Indonesia has the most 
Oh yeah, yeah, they in the U.S., I feel like Mount St. Helens gets a gets a lot of credit, gets a lot of volcanic mm-hmm. credit, but really, um, there are 169 active volcanoes in the U.S. Did you know that, Robert? I did not have that figure floating around my head. Of course, we have Hawaii too, and they have uh, they have uh, they have some uh, awesome volcanic activity there as well, which I, I got to see firsthand several years back. Oh, did you? I yeah. didn't know you've been to Hawaii. Yeah, um, a friend of did mine. Did you honeymoon uh, there? No, no, uh, no, we did not. Did not. My honeymoon in Mexico, but um. Oh right. But yeah, this was like. Uh, during a time when I didn't know what I was doing, but a friend of mine, uh, J.P. Callen, if he's listening, um, moved out to uh, Honolulu. Uh, he had an architect job out there. So he's like, hey, if anybody wants to come visit me, you got a free place to stay in Hawaii. So I went out there and visited him for as long as uh, he'd put up with me. How so long I got to was go that? out and see the, oh, it was awesome. Got to see the volcano. It's a beautiful place. Yeah, I, I was a big fan of Hawaii. One- I've only been to Maui twice, though. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, you can pretty much, any of those islands are great, even the leper ones. So, uh, or the leopard one, it's just the one. Uh, so death by lava, what yeah, do you got one, for me? One, yeah, while I was in Hawaii, I saw a guy get hit by a bus, but I did not see anybody killed by a lava flow. Um, and that's what we're going to talk about here. Did you really see a guy hit by a bus? Oh, I didn't see it happen, but I like, I went in to get a coffee, it came out, and I'm like, huh, what are they doing over there in front of that bus that's parked in the middle of the road? And it's like some guy with a lay on had been uh, hit by a bus. Yep. But anyway, back to the uh, back to the lava. All right. So lava flows are streams of molten rock that uh, pour ooze out of an erupting vent. All right. Now this can come out uh, explosively. Uh, you know, like an eruption, uh, lava fountains, like you know we're used to seeing, or we're used to seeing uh, images of anyway. Um, but it can also occur uh, non-explosively, where it just seeps out uh, at a slower rate. Um, the speed that a lot that at which lava moves depends on several different factors. It depends on the type of lava uh, erupted, its viscosity, uh, the steepness of the ground over over which it travels. You know, like you know, if you're uphill from the lava, you're you're a lot safer than you are if you're you know if you're looking up at it on a mountain peak. Um, also, uh, whether the lava flows in a broad sheet or it's confined to a channel down a lava tube, etc. It's kind of the difference between putting a kink in the hose. You know, sure. water moves faster through the kink. Lava is going to move faster through a confined space. Fluid basalt flows can extend tens of kilometers from an erupting vent. All right, the the leading edges of uh, of these flows can travel as mass fast as six miles per hour, ten kilometers per hour on steep slopes. Um, but when they're confined to a channel or something, they can uh, they can hit like nineteen miles per hour. Okay, so I wasn't really thinking that death by lava flow was. Um was a real certainty for a lot of us who can who can move quickly. But now that you're getting into some of these faster speeds, then, you know, it seems like it's posing more of an issue. Yeah. One of the one of the things I was re- reading, though, basically, it still moves slow enough that most of the time the lava itself is not a risk because generally you're going to see, you know, you're going to, hey, oh, the mountain is now spewing fire and ash into the air and, the, and it just became, uh, like, pitch dark, you know, so maybe I should run away. Right, but maybe you're in the middle of a very, you know, Serious text, you know, to your to your partner, yeah. to your girlfriend, boyfriend. You're not paying attention. Or more than likely, you're texting. Hey, um, I don't know what the the uh, shortcuts for this would be like. Hey, volcano just erupted. I'm gonna go get a picture of it and send you. A, <laughs> I'm gonna get a picture with my iPhone and send you a picture. So they run out to the lava to get a picture of it and then get burned alive. Um, that that is actually the, the more the more common form of people getting killed by lava or like yeah getting out around it and then suddenly suddenly getting cut off from their escape by the flow of lava uh, yeah or um uh, one thing that they have to be real careful with uh, um 
on the, the Big Highland in Hawaii um, at Volcano National Park. We, we actually, when I was there, I got to actually go down and walk on the lava flows and get like really close to lava where people were being really disrespectful. <laughs> like, uh, like, like, I don't know. I thought it was disrespectful to bring marshmallows so you could like, <laughs> get your picture made with a marshmallow over the, the, the lava flow. I wonder um, if the marshmallows were tasty. I don't know, but it's like, like, so people, you know, you get tourists down there around lava. And it's a wonder they don't lose just people every day because one of the things about this particular area, this is that where it's flowing out towards the water and you can walk on where it's, uh, you know, it's, it's become rock. But a lot of times there's, there's lava. I mean, there's, um, you know, there's, there's molten rock right underneath there. So if you don't know what you're doing, you could easily walk out into an area, into an area where there's not all that much rock. It's like walking out into thin ice. Um, you killed that way. So, um, so yeah, generally you're you're going to be pretty safe from the lava unless you're you're stupid or slow. So the next method is perhaps not as exciting as a uh, lava flow. It's VOG. And no, I did not say fog, I said VOG. Yeah. So let's take you let's take you into the VOG. Um in June of 1996, New Zealand's Mount Ruapehu erupted violently. It had an ash cloud blotting out the sun for miles, and uh, that ash cloud climbed almost about 30,000 feet into the atmosphere. It is a classic example of erupting volcano, fire, mountain, ash, all the, all the bells and whistles you'd expect. Yeah, we're talking 7 million tons of rock and ash were ejected. But, good news, nobody was killed, mm-hmm. at least initially, and at least not within 60 miles of the volcano. In the cities of Auckland and Hamilton, however, which are located hundreds of miles from Ruapehu, Something strange started to happen. There were no warnings sounded, and the skies mostly appeared normal, but um, a lot of people started showing up at hospitals, and a lot of them started dying of aggravated respiratory diseases. In fact, about 69 people in the two cities died from unexplained respiratory illness that July, according to public health statistics. So you could have surmised that perhaps it was undiagnosed flu or something else. But... A bunch of researchers that uh, just published a study in the journal Atmospheric Environment think no. They think it was invisible particles of acid-coated volcanic ash wafting into the cities. I mean, you don't want that stuff in your lungs. Yeah. Over in Hawaii, Kilauea has been erupting since 1983, oozing streams of lava in, you know, a relatively peaceful volcanic way. And this is where we get uh, this is where we get the term VOG, right? Because it's volcanic fog. Yes. Or VOG. Yes. Little portmanteau going on there. Right. I wonder how uh, Hawaiians feel about their VOG versus, you know, the Los Angeles folks with their fog. Which, which would you wait, rather what's have? What's in Los Angeles? Fog. Smog. smog. Oh, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> right, Los Angeles have smog, San Franciscans have fog, and Hawaiians have VOG. Yeah, I think VOG, VOG is definitely more exciting. Yeah, VOG is pretty much more exciting. So, like I said, Kilauea has been erupting since 1983, but these are, you know... Pretty mellow eruptions as far as eruptions go. And the gas from the eruption is rich in sulfur dioxide. What happens is that trade winds regularly waft it towards small communities on the southern part of the island. Along the way, some of the gas can morph into these uh, hazy sulfate particles. And together, this is what makes up Hawaii's much maligned volcanic smog, a.k.a. fog. Yeah, and they looked at uh, they they started uh, looking at how it was affecting people. Uh, and between 2004 and 2009, they found that uh, high exposure to VOG nearly doubled the risk of coming down with sore throat or asthma attack. Uh, and it also elevated uh, bronchitis risk in adults by uh, 57 percent, actually. 
Yeah, and of course, children proved uh, pretty susceptible to VOG-related diseases with uh, risks of upper respiratory infections nearly doubling. And the likelihood of an asthma attack rose by a factor of five. And also bronchitis, as you just were talking about, uh, the risk for bronchitis was six times higher. So VOG poses a serious public health threat. Yeah, and they've started. Uh, they've gotten to where they're they're doing a lot more real time air quality monitoring, just make sure that they're on top of it, and uh, you know, they're aware of the situation. Yeah, and it's a sparsely populated area by the name of Ku that's by far the the most grievously affected. Yeah, I guess I uh, I guess we drove through Ku when we were when we were there. Did you Did you know that um, Hawaii also boasts the rainiest place on Earth? I seem like I have heard that. Well, that's why the they have so many rainbows. And then it's, you know, they have the rainbow and the license plate and all. Hmm. Yeah. It's amazing. You go to the Volcano National Park and you can see complete rainbows inside a crater. Like I walked under a rainbow and then looked back and saw it. That's pretty darn I, cool. And at one point we are at the top looking down into a crater, looking down a complete rainbow underneath us. It's crazy. I didn't even think it was possible. Um, so, yeah, our next uh, uh, method that a volcano might use to attempt to kill you, um, it's actually, this is a kind of a double uh, pyroclast- pyroclastic flows and lahars. All right, these are pretty, pretty awesome. Unless you're, you know, in their path. A pyroclastic flow is a cloud of hot volcanic gas, ash, and volcanic bombs that sweep down the volcano's sides and other steep hills at speeds approaching 100 miles an hour. Whoa, that's yeah. fast. That's a heck of a lot faster than those yeah, silly this, lava flows. This is uh, this one is really more of a, a far more of a killer than uh, than just lava flows. When a volcano erupts violently, it's coming for large volumes of rock to just pulverize in the explosion, and they're reduced to these tiny particles. And these mix with high temperature gases, ash, larger pieces of rock, and it all forms together into this big hot cloud. Um, like imagine like opening your you know when you open your oven to check on the cookies or whatever, in that blast comes out. Yeah. Like, just imagine that just a huge blast like that, except just intensely hot. Um, and it doesn't smell like cookies. Right. It does not smell like cookies. Though, and, uh, now, if you're p- cooking pork, I guess, you know, that might be accurate because of all the burning flesh. Because uh, this is a great example oh, of Oh, Robert. Yes. I no. can't believe you just took it there. Well, th- we're talking about ways it would kill you. Um, so, uh, like, the classic example is this is when uh, uh, Mount Vesuvius erupted in Italy uh, back uh, August 24th in 8079. It was on the 25th, though, that the pyroclastic flow came down and hit Pompeii. So it damaged the walls of the buildings. It ripped roofs off, and it killed everybody in their path. They found about 2,000 bodies uh, in the, in the, later when they were excavated the site. And, um, and this is what's really weird and grotesque, is that they, uh, they discovered all these fractured skulls among uh, the Pompeian dead, signs of... Uh, the, the, basically, the, the pyroclastic flow like heated them up so fast that it boiled their brains in their skull and shattered their heads like eggshells. Again, a very nice image. Yeah. The uh, the other um, uh, thing to worry about is uh, the lahar. All right, and this is a, this is a, actually caused by the pyroclastic flow. Um, when the pyroclastic flow mixes with water, then the ash and water mix can form into a type of mud that sets like concrete the, okay. the instant it stops. So think of it as like a pyroclastic mud flow, really. Uh, this happened with Mount St. Helens. Pyroclastic flow melted the snow and the ice on the upper slopes, and it formed a, this, all this fast-flowing mud, swept down the mountain, uh, into the river, and uh, uh, and it, it instantly heated the, the river up. Uh, and the mud flows 
Um, ended up going through houses, picked up trucks, cars, etc. And, uh, and then once it settled into a, into into place, it just sets. Yeah, it's like a moment in time of destruction, just yeah. frozen forever. Yeah, like when uh, when Mount Vesuvius went off, um, uh, the town of uh, Herculaneum was hit by the uh, lahar, and so uh, they've been uh, digging around in, in in that for for a while now. It's just you know everything was just sealed up in it in this concrete. So this is one of those uh, ways to die that if you're looking to die a fast death, I would think that this would be the way to go. Yeah, the pyroclastic flows definitely gonna hit you hard. Um, just instant death. Yeah. So the next one is a uh, volcanic winter. If you've ever sat by a campfire, and I know you guys probably have, um, you've probably noticed the smoke and the bits of ash that are rising from the flames. These are the product of combustion. The smoke you see ascending out of an erupting volcano, on the other hand, consists mostly of these tiny mineral particles formed by the explosive release of gases. Once volcanic ash is airborne, three factors determine how far it will travel before falling back to the Earth. Can you guess one of the factors? Particle size. Right. The larger the particle, the closer it's going to fall to the volcano. Smaller the particle, the farther the winds are going to be able to carry it Mm -hmm. and drift it into a town near you. Another factor that determines how far it's going to fall from the volcano is the wind speed and direction. You know, I mean, what kind of winds do we have blowing? If if it's just a strong direct wind, then it's just the volcanic ash is going to blow in a relatively straight line. But throw some storm type winds into the mix and they're going to be much more effective at distributing volcanic ash in many different directions. Eruption type also determines how far away the the ash is going to fall. Um, And there are several different kinds of volcanic eruptions. And their severity plays into both of the above factors. So if you have um, a particularly powerful eruption, then that's going to be able to blast particles perhaps into the uh, upper levels of the planet's atmosphere. If you have kind of a nondescript run-of-the-mill explosion, then, you know, the volcanic ash won't be blasted quite as high into the atmosphere. So once in the air, the the volcanic ash kind of mills around and it joins other dust particles and uh, it forms what's called condensation nuclei, uh, which water vapor condenses around to form clouds. Some violent eruptions can even add volcanic ash cloud cover to the atmosphere to drop global temperatures by several degrees. So this is sort of like your nuclear winter. Um, so back in 1883, the eruption of Krakatoa lowered global temperatures by 2.2 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, and in fact, some of these are, are um, cases that uh, scientists point to um, when making arguments and calculations uh, about nuclear winter. So there's one theory uh, called the Toba Catastrophe Theory, um, so named for uh, Lake Toba in Indonesia. <clears throat> and according to this theory, um, modern human evolution was affected by a recent large volcanic event. That's the thought. And by recent, we mean 70 to 75,000 years ago, but it's still pretty recent in geologic terms. Uh, and the event that they point to, they think uh, there's a Category 8, or what's called a mega-colossal eruption on the Volcanic Explosivity Index. Yeah, this uh, was a six-year, a six-year-long volcanic winter followed this, and that was followed by uh, an estimated uh, thousand-year-long uh, instant ice age. Yeah, and of course, also followed by uh, decimation of humanity. Yeah, and by recent, we mean seventy to seventy-five thousand years ago. Yeah, the the Toba Caldera in Indonesia underwent a Category Eight um, eruption on the volcanic explosivity index. So this is the mega, the mega colossal, as mega it's so colossal. dubbed. That's the actual. Term. Yeah, I wonder what's colossal. over. Is it like, like mega awesome after that? <laughs> um, and there are some pretty serious ramifications after this uh, particular eruption. There was a six-year-long volcanic winter, and uh, pretty much there was an a thousand-year-long instant ice age that followed uh, Mount Toba's eruption. 
And of course, modern man uh, was decimated. Uh, the population of modern man just, you know, plummeted. Yeah, it fell to, they think, to around 10,000 adults between, uh, and this was between 50 and 100,000 years ago. The survivors, uh, they think, would have found uh, refuge in isolated tropical pockets, uh, mainly in equatorial Africa. Uh, meanwhile, populations living in Europe and northern China would have been basically wiped out. Um, so just a 12-degree change in temperature can have just catastrophic effects. Right, so that's volcanic winter. Why don't you talk to us about tsunamis and earthquakes? Yeah, uh, well, earthquake, earthquakes uh, related to volcanic activity uh, can produce uh, hazards which include ground cracks, ground deformation, and, and damage to man-made structures, obviously. Um, and there are two categories of volcanic earthquakes, volcano tectonic earthquakes and long-period earthquakes. Okay. All right, volcanic earthquakes are, are pretty pretty simple to imagine. Um, all right, volcano, a volcano erupts, and uh, this creates all these stress changes in the solid rock due to either the injection or withdrawal of magma. So you have like all this liquid rock moving around. Suddenly, there's uh, it's you know areas that used to have you know rock under them um, end up falling in. Other areas blast out um, and um, produce all these large ground ground cracks. Uh, the earthquake can occur uh, as rock is moving in to fill the spaces where magma is no longer present, um, and uh, and they, they just happen. They're just a part of the volcanic eruption. Uh, the other uh, category are uh, long-period earthquakes, and these are produced by the injection of magma into the surrounding rock. All right, These are, are the result of pressure changes during the unsteady transport of magma. So this is the type of, these are the type of seismic activities that uh, scientists uh, will study and, see, and, and, and be able to say, like, oh, well, this, uh, the seismic activity is increasing around this particular volcano. We better watch we, out yeah, for we, eruption. Exactly, yeah, whereas the other type just is a part of the eruption and like a byproduct of the eruption. I see. Yeah, and then of course, um, if volca- volcanoes are producing seismic waves, this can also um, produce tsunamis, especially in the case of mainly in the case of like sub uh, submarine volcanoes. Um, they quickly collapse downward, spew forth lava, which heats the surrounding water quickly, which generates these massive waves, uh, which which can be catastrophic. So Krakatoa, the explosion in 1883, um, actually had a, a pretty large impact uh, on the population due to a crazy tsunami. Um, the tsunami in that instance killed about 36,000 people. Uh, so yeah, I think out of all the ones that we've uh, mentioned, I think the, the way to go is uh, falling off of a mountain into a volcano. No, I disagree. Yeah. I think that I would much rather be gone in one of those pyroclastic flows you'd, you'd instantly. Re- you'd rather your skull explode. Yeah, yeah, I would, Robert. Okay. That's the way I want to go, I think. All right. If you want to find out more about uh, volcanoes and uh, other topics, uh, you can also check out our blogs, which uh, you can reach via the homepage. Or you can send us an email and tell us about your volcanic experiences at sciencestuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Want more How Stuff Works? Check out our blogs on the howstuffworks.com homepage. I'm Jordan Gonsalves, and I'm a journalist. Join me on my new podcast, But We Loved, coming May 15th. 
where queer elders recount the amazing history they've lived through. In the middle of Wall Street, they stopped traffic. They were doing a die-in. And in the process, share little gems of wisdom for the next generation. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. You can listen to But We Loved May 15th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene, was good it? But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 